following the red card and ban of England number 8 Billy Winnipeller and the eventual suspension of their captain Owen Farrell. To discuss the fate of his former Saracens teammates as well as look ahead to the World Cup prospects of his nation Argentina, the Rugby Paper podcast is joined by Saracens and Argentina legend Marcelo Boff. Right, another England red card at the weekend. Another Wales defeat at the hands of South Africa this time. More squads announced. Uh, Preps really hotting up. We've just had an announcement from England camp that Anthony Watson's going to be out of the World Cup. Our prep seems to be absolute chaos. Uh, we'll talk about Messrs. Farrell, Vunapola, Watson in a second, but we're continuing our rundown for the major nations at the World Cup to see how their preps are going. Today, we've got Argentina, England's main adversaries in their World Cup group, uh, who have been on a bit of a rise since Michael Checker. Today, joining us to discuss Los Pumas is Saracens and Argentina legend Marcelo Bosch. How are you, Marcelo? Great to have you with us. Oli, how are you? It's a pleasure for me to be here today with you guys and chat about rugby. Excellent. So you're in Argentina at the moment. You tell me you're heading to France next week. That's right, yes. I'm in Argentina. I came back uh, almost three years ago uh, during the pandemic. Uh, tough times at the moment, I remember. And uh, yes, uh, I will be heading to France next week. On Friday, we are leaving. So uh, it's around the corner. As you just mentioned, the first clash between England and Argentina. So really looking forward to it. I think you're probably looking forward to it more than we are, to be honest. Um, but so what are you going to be doing in France? Um, lately, I've been working for ESPN over here. I started working around uh, September 2021 uh, during that rugby championship. And since then, I kept on working for them. At the beginning, I was only going for certain emissions on Sundays towards uh, the analyze of the game. And later on, I started uh, commentating games as well. So, well, I'm one of the guys of of the channel that are going over there to cover the whole World Cup. So, it's an exciting opportunity for me that I'm really looking forward to it. Amazing. And that's ESPN International, yeah? Yeah, well, basically, it's a producer from here, from Argentina, that has the rights of rugby towards ESPN. Uh, so well, I, I would be heading with them, uh, but our emissions are most of all for this region in particular, which is in the South America region. And over here, you can imagine the excitement, not only in Argentina, but the whole uh, region, because we have Uruguay once again in the World Cup, and we have uh, Chile for the first time in the history. So we have three nations very close to each other that are going to play in the World Cup. So... There's a lot of excitement. Amazing. It's all very exciting. Let's get into the Argentina front. And I actually want to straight uh, jump straight in on sevens. Um, I don't know if you've watched much of the sevens lately, but we've obviously got some very exciting sevens inclusions. Um, Rodrigo Iscro made a very good debut for Argentina the other day. I've also noticed, and Bethan Velez is coming come in as well. I've also been watching a lot of the sevens myself. Guys like Marcus Manetta or Lucho Gonzalez. What is it about the Argentina Sevens program that's so effective? And do you think that we could see the likes of Iscro? I think Gonzalez would make a great 15s player. I just want to know your thoughts on all of these guys because they're guys that maybe union, rugby union followers don't know. They're not necessarily on the map. 
Yes, he's unbelievable. So Santiago Mescora basically thought about what he wanted on the field and suddenly he started selecting players towards that game plan. And uh, what well, the likes of Isgro, that he's amazing in the air. Uh, you can have a lot of possession towards his ability. Gonzalez in the middle of the park with, with his uh, carry of the ball. Moneta scoring tries. So suddenly he created something different towards what we had before. And as well, he created a good atmosphere within the team the, towards the culture. And they live the whole year as, as a family in a way. So that makes a huge uh, positive impact in the team because they are traveling a lot during the year. So if you have a good atmosphere, a good head coach, and everyone is trying to develop themselves as much as possible, well, that's a starting point. And after long years, we started seeing the results of those first years that were very challenging. And nowadays you can see an Argentinian team that is competing against the best teams in the world in the rugby sevens. There's a general perception. We were speaking about this last um, week on the podcast, obviously. Running rugby has gone out <clears> to a certain extent. It seems the very well-drilled player power game first and then the running game follows. Why is there a place in Argentinian rugby for sevens converts then? Because that would seem to be slightly counterintuitive to the direction that generally rugby has moved in. If you hear from the most experienced coaches and players of sevens, they have a lot of structure as well. Now, how they play the game. I remember in my time, of course, it's been 20 years ago, even more, when I started uh, with the national team of sevens, I played for one season before going into France when I was 20 years old. There was a, a, a style that it was more like a, a touch rugby in the sense of there wasn't much about the system, about structures, about defensive um, um, yes, structures as well. Before it was more like free. Nowadays, if you hear from the players and the coaches, there's massive structure about how they play the game. Where do they want to go in the field? Uh, why this player will be suitable in this position and not in the other one? Before, I remember when I used to play with this head coach, he told me, if you, if you are fast and you have good hands, you will be playing either as a forward, either as a center or whatever. Nowadays, there's specific reasons why he coaches and why he selects players to play in certain positions. So in that sense, I believe that they have a lot of structure in the sevens. Despite that, there's more structure in the 15s because there's less pace, of course. So how are they going to go from sevens to 15s? I don't know, in my, in my opinion, towards Argentina, I see them more playing in the back line because there is where they have a bit more space. Um, but well, I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's quite tricky. Um, not, not a question in the sense of I, I, in 15s you don't have much space because of the, of the space of 15s. But nowadays in sevens, as I know, they have a lot of structure. It's incredible. Nothing is uh, taken for granted. Everything has a reasoning behind. Uh, I don't know much about the depth of everything, unfortunately. If not, I could share it with you. Uh, Marcello, one player who played one season of sevens for Pumas was uh, Matteo Carreras at Newcastle now. Now, he scored two or three of the best tries we've seen in a long time 
last season. He was the he wasn't the top scorer. I think he was second top scorer in the league. He's been a bit of a sensation here. He hasn't quite had that impact yet for the Pumas, but is he a player that you are talking about down there and that you have plans for in the World Cup? Because he looks a world beater here in the Premiership. I think he's fantastic. He's only evolving as a rugby player. I think he had a great season at Newcastle last year. Uh, he's been scoring some tries that are just impressive. I remember the one against Northampton, for example, at Franklin's Garden. It was fascinating to see. And uh, I don't know if you guys watch the Argentinian games in the rugby championship. When he played, he was one of the best players by far of the team. I believe that him and uh, Juan Martin Gonzalez were both the best players of Argentina this past uh, rugby championship. He He's capable of running with ball in hand, of course, as you know, but he's very intelligent. He's switch on. Uh, he's very disciplined as well, which is really important nowadays in rugby, as you know. So I think that he's going to get better uh, within time, uh, even better than now. Uh, it, it showed me how much he grew up as well last season at Newcastle uh, because when the chance and the opportunity came from him uh, at the Argentinian jersey, he really took it with both hands and nowadays uh, he will be a, a starting 15 without uh, a doubt uh, against England in two weeks' time. Yeah. And just mark our cards for us. At halfback, you have Nicolas Sanchez playing in his fourth World Cup, a, a complete fly half and a very fine goal kicker, in fact, a world-class goal kicker. And then you have Santiago Carreras, who is uh, possibly more attack-minded, perhaps uh, could bring a little bit more out of that back division you have. So which way are Argentina going to fall here? Which, it's a good decision? question. <laughs> it's a very good question because... Even you have a very good fly half in France uh, that is called Benjamin Urdapilleta. He used to play at Castro. Now he's at Clermont. He's been doing great over there, but he's more a, a player that plays a lot of kicking game uh, with vision of the field. Uh, and as you just mentioned, Carrera, Santiago, he brings another flair to the attack, most of all. So I believe that Michael Cheka, what he's looking for is that a more flaring attack. And nowadays, if you see the structure, the attacking structure of Argentina, uh, it has a lot of movement from the backs. And uh, they want players to have options and they want Carreras to have options, but as well to attack uh, as close as, as possible in the advantage line. So I think a player like him with his ability and vision of the game can bring something different towards the Argentinian attack. The, the only thing for me is when you play World Cups, and most of all when you play suddenly England or whoever, they bring you something different perhaps in, in, in any given day. So the question mark is how is he going to adapt that ability and that willingness of going with ball in hand to play a more strategic game? You know, sometimes you have to play what is in front of you. Uh, and sometimes the game... Um, ask you to play in a different way. Does he have the experience to play in that sort of brand of rugby as well? And that's the main question that we are asking. We were asking ourselves here in Argentina because 
he didn't play much as a number 10. Uh, but I agree with you, with freedom, he's very good. He has a lot of uh, talent and hopefully he, he, he will have that time. But when you play a, 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 against a defence, as England perhaps, not the one of, of last week perhaps, but others, uh, that they suffocate you, they take you time of decision, uh, it's a different story. And we will see how he reacts to that. Yeah. I don't know if I made myself clear. You did. You did very, very clear. the The thing that strikes me is is that uh, you ben- mentioned the goal kicking thing with, uh, with with Sanchez. I guess what plays into Carreras's hands is that you have Boffelli, who is you know one of the best goal kickers in the world at the moment. And the other thing, a very important thing that I'd I'd like to, what well, I think could potentially be um, a game winner for Argentina more than it would be for England, is that you've got so many of the players in this Argentine squad who are playing in the Premiership. So their familiarity with many of the players that they're playing against and actually England's uh, sort of problems in many ways, uh, because I think that the Premiership is reflected uh, in this current England England side, um, that actually his ability to exploit... England's potential weaknesses are greater than Sanchez's would be because he's, he's he knows them. Yeah, that's true. I think that it's always an advantage when you have players playing within the domestic league. I remember and I, and I recall the World Cup in 2007 in France. Argentina beat France twice. Yeah. And at the time, you have a lot of professional rugby players playing in France. In France so yeah. that gives you a, 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 a great advantage, of course, because you know them because you play in a weekly basis against them. But in the sense of Sanchez and Carreras, the thing is that Sanchez, he didn't have a, a lot of, not opportunities, because he was injured as well, but he didn't play much the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some physical injuries. He wasn't as, as, as at uh, his peak. So suddenly Carreras, got the opportunity because other fly halves were injured and he took it, the opportunity. And since then, Cheka saw something about him that he could create something different for Argentina. One thing that you mentioned that is very interesting is that we have Boffelli in the kicking goal. You know, it's very important in international rugby to have a, an accurate uh, kicking goal. And we have Boffelli that he's been doing that responsibility very good last year. So in that sense... Uh, he's covered. But if he's not, he will take the responsibility. And yet we don't know how he will be able to do it. Yeah. So for me nowadays, you have two or three players in the back line. And because of what we are saying, that are really key for Argentina, that are, if, if, if Carreras plays 10, Boffelli is very important for the kicking goal. And of course, towards his ability in the air, kicking him and everything that you know. And the other one that is very important for us is Malia. Because Malia plays a lot uh, in the attacking structure of Argentina as a second receiver, as a decision-making, where are we going to play? So he uh, uh, released pressure from Carreras. When you see Malia playing with Carreras, Carreras plays better always. Because okay. he releases that pressure. That's what I, that's what I'm talking to you before. 
if Malia is not there and everything relies on Carrera's decision, is there when we have uh, question marks about his decision making, his strategy, kicking game, that perhaps is not that effective in the sense of Sanchez when he was at his peak. So yeah. it's like a puzzle. But Cheika, you can see that he wants to play the game in the sense of attacking speed. And Carreras nowadays is the main man as the number 10. If we look, uh, Marcello, at the um, it, it 2007 and, and 2015, when the Pumas reached the semi-finals, um, every every segment of those teams w- was in place. You had you had exciting backs, you had tremendous halfbacks, the back rows, the second rows spoke for, spoke for themselves really. But in both of those instances, you also had an outstanding scrummaging front row. You had complete security at set piece. You had some of the best loose heads in the world in particular. Um, it doesn't seem to be quite, it doesn't seem to have been quite as secure, the scrum, which is an odd thing to say about Argentine teams. Yes, I know. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem to have been as good since 2015. Do you think you have the props? I don't see a problem with your hookers, but do you think you have the props to give you the security you would need to unleash all your potential in this tournament? It's a very good question. Um, I would say that two, three years ago, uh, I had more doubts than nowadays. I believe that in the last two years, it's been evolving, not to the level of 2007 and 2015, not near that, but uh, not as bad as two, three years ago. Two, three years ago, the set piece of Argentina, most of all the scrum wasn't in a good place. Nowadays, it's better, it's competing. We are capable of having our own balls at, at least. And uh, we have props that emerged the last two or three years. One of them is Gomez Codela. He's very, very experienced and he's now 37 or 38. Of course, he's in his last legs. But in the sense of the scrum, he, he's really good and he gave us a good uh, platform as a, um, as a prop. We have Sklavi from La Rochelle that he's massive. So he, he, he created a good impact from the bench. And in the left, we had uh, Gajo that is, uh, he's a good potential player. He has already a good presence as a rugby player. He's and different, he's, isn't he? he? He's a different, he's different kind of player. Yes, and he's very young. I, he likes the ball in hand, which I'm very excited about him. But us, we need as well strong selfies. And the thing is that we knew two days ago that uh, his replacement, Tetas Chaparro, he got injured. Did you know that? Yeah, no. I just heard that today. Yeah, I didn't know injured, that. He's out of the World Cup. Okay. So that's a massive issue for Argentina. So I agree with what you said, Chris. Uh, I don't know uh, how is it going to be the scrum of Argentina uh, because I think that the scrum uh, tells you a bit of how Argentina are playing the game uh, lately, this year, last year. Per moments, it's okay and it's solid and per moments, it's all over the place. And when you see the performances from Argentina last year and this year, they are capable of playing really good rugby. But a weekend after... 
they aren't capable of having consistency in the performance. And that is the real question mark, I think, for this team. Because when they are really switched on, I think nowadays they can compete against the best ones. Mm-hmm. But if they are not, you can tell that, well, uh, they, they will not be able to compete. So that is the, the really question mark for me. Are they capable of sustaining the performance and the consistency week in, week out? Because in a World Cup, you don't have a, another day, perhaps. And what do you think about uh, Michael Checker's ability, you know, to to get a team uh, prepared in the right way for a uh, a World Cup? And what is he going to do about the loose heads? Who is who 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 are the replacements to behind Gallo? You have uh, Sordoni that he was uh, in the list just before the final one of the World Cup. He played, I believe, against New Zealand. Uh, you have Michael Vivas as well. They are, they are good potential props, but it's a it's a it's a tricky one, and uh, surely it caused some uh, doubts in the heads of Cheka. Yeah. But in the sense of the approach to the World Cup under him here in Argentina, we are very excited about Cheka about what he brought into the team. I think that he brought as well a, a good mentality. Uh, you can tell that the team is living well within the doors, uh, in the sense of the atmosphere that, the, that it was created, you can tell that the team has a good mentality in the sense of uh, the next job, whenever they make a mistake in a game, they improved a lot in the mental side. And that's why they won certain matches last year, that in another moment they will lose it, of course. And I like his way of, of, of leading. Uh, I believe that he recruits assistant coaches that are suitable for what he wants. And most of them are ex-rugby players that they know the the feeling of what does it mean to to, to wear the jersey, like Contepomi, Fernandez Lobe. So I think that he surrounded himself very well with those guys. And uh, and in a way when you know it we know when you know him a bit more he has uh, a side, an emotional side. And there is where he understands the Argentinian culture. We are mm. emotional people. Mm. We are very passionate about. So we have to bring a bit more of that, a bit less of that and more of structure as well. So he's trying to find that balance. But I think that he, he, he really understands what we need. And we need to have confidence in, in our process, in our team. And I think that this team has the mentality to go into the World Cup and compete against any, anybody. So we'll see what happens. And I, I was going to ask you about Checkers, um, about Checkers' mood since he's been in um, in Argentina. Is he reasonably calm? I mean, there were times with the Wallabies when he could just start a fight in an empty room. So is 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 he been fairly calm with you guys? I think per moments yes, but per moments he got nervous for sure. But I think that's one thing that I really like. He has both uh, ways. He could be the calm guy, but as well in a point when the team needs, uh, I don't know how you say it in English, like uh, he needs players to have a reaction, he yeah. will bring it into the table. So he's a very, uh, pers- <laughs> he persuades good uh, in the sense of he feels what the team needs. 
Mm. And we need, of course, a lot of that, but we need a, a lot of posi- positivity as well because we as individuals in Argentina, we are, we are, we are very autocritic about ourselves and suddenly it, it's too much. And when you see the top teams and top players, everyone makes mistakes. It's how you deal with those mistakes into the next job. Mm. So I think that he got a really impact in that, in the team, in the leaders. So that's why I feel that uh, the mentality of the team is in a different spot of what it was two years ago. Marcello, tell us a bit about Marcus Kramer, who, when Argentina beat New Zealand, I thought gave one of the finest individual performances I've ever seen by a forward against New Zealand. He was an absolute one-man, he was a machine. But he is a bit temperamental. And also, where do you play him? Is he a lock or is he the biggest number seven in the world? So uh, uh, what's the thinking on on Kramer at the moment? Because it strikes me, if Argentina are to have a really good World Cup, he's quite an important man. Very important indeed. The physicality, the energy that he brings week in, week out is unbelievable. It's he's a, as you just mentioned, I don't know if it's the right word, but he's a machine in the sense that he delivers in every game that he plays. Um, the thing, as you just mentioned, is to do it within the law nowadays. That we know yep. that the law is very thin, thin for, for moments, and you have to be really lucid and with self control. Uh, during the 80 minutes, because uh, nowadays we can tell that uh, a team uh, could have a, I don't know, a player that goes off for a yellow card, red card, and that could cost you the game, and that game could cost you the World Cup. So we need him with self-control. I believe that what is happening to him these last two years that he got banned, uh, hopefully he learns from that in the sense of having self-control and lucidity and be more lucid in the game towards certain actions and moments. Uh, but if he's like that, he's one of the main uh, players that we have in the in the forwards. And in the position, I believe that he's delivering more as a, as a number seven than a lock. But we know that he can play lock. because uh, And I think that's really good for us because nowadays we have uh, Alemano, he got injured. Luckily, he will be playing tomorrow, uh, sorry, Saturday against Spain. So he will be playing uh, some minutes, but he's not in his peak, perhaps, of the knee. Guido Petty, that he's been unbelievable for the jersey. He got an injury in his knee and he didn't play much this last season. So knowing that Kremer could play potentially lock as well, that gives a good uh, option to Cheka to put another one as a number seven. You have Juan Martin Gonzalez, that he's been magnificent. Matera, now he's playing more six as well and seven. Uh, you have Grondona that he really did well these last uh, games. So we, we'll see. But Kramer, I agree with you. He's very important for the team. So, so yeah. talk, talk, talking of self-control and, and lucidity, um, <laughs> can we can we expect that from Lavanini uh, in this tournament? <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, honestly, when I first started watching Lavanini play, I thought this guy is capable of anything. He seemed to be an astonishing talent. I mean, just yes. physically fantastic, but he had he had all the component parts of a, of a great test lock um, almost almost from the start, and you just wanted to see yeah. him develop. Well, the thing that's developed is his habit of 
getting on the wrong side of referees, and um, and 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 I think that's probably that's probably sort of has uh, cut him back a little bit. And and sometimes it seems to me that he lacks a little bit of confidence. Sometimes he looks to me as though he's a little bit lazy, that he could be doing more. And I don't know how all that sort of temperamental mix works with him. Is is he is this going to be his tournament? You know what. I agree with you, Chris. Even I played with him uh, a few years when he was uh, a young boy at that time. Um, and uh, what you are saying is re- is true. Even in the last World Cup against England, uh, he was sent off. So, yes, he. I believe that nowadays in rugby world, we are a bit uh, unfair with him in the sense that... Uh, of what he did those years that he was a lot sent off with yellow cards, some red cards. I think that is in the back of the mind of everyone when you see him play. But lately, this last year, year and a half, he's been doing a lot of things in the sense of his mental side of the game. And he's more disciplined nowadays. Uh, of course, you're asking a, a, a guy that plays at his limits every game to be disciplined, which is not easy as we know. But I believe that he is in a better in a in a better way in the sense of how he judges moments. Uh, we spoke a lot about this in Argentina in this past year and a half, because you don't want a player that suddenly could give you a nightmare. But he's been doing okay. And when he's okay and he switch on, uh, the impact that he has in the game it's great because he has a lot of mobility, he has a lot of physicality, and that's in any in any in any team. You know that is really important. I believe that players when they play against him, they know really who he is because he's not a he's not shy. He goes, he really goes against anyone. So that brings uh, something to the team as well. And, at, his be, at his best, Marcelo, he could be, he can he can mean as much to Argentina as Skelton will mean to Australia, or Etzebeth yeah. will mean to to the All Blacks. He's he, he can be that good. Totally, and when you see his mobility and uh, his fitness, he played every game eighty minutes, eighty minutes every game, and he's a look and he he's a lot, you know, in the rocks and uh, in the in the shadows, to say it in a way, in the invisible game. And he invests a lot of energy in there and he delivers a lot. So I believe that he improved in his discipline. Hopefully in the World Cup, he will carry on with that. (laughs) Marcelo, just on the subject of the rugby championship, you obviously beat Australia and then arguably disappointing performances against South Africa and New Zealand. Did you consider the overall rugby championship a step forward? Um, I believe that um, well, we started really bad against New Zealand. Uh, We played them in Mendoza. Uh, We had a lot of hopes towards that game because Argentina delivered and played really well last year. And uh, in the first 15 minutes, the All Blacks blew us apart. Three tries, and you could see a team that wasn't as joint as you could imagine. It was disconnected in defence, uh, players in different pages defending. So that 
game was like a wake-up call. Listen, guys, we know that we can compete against the top teams, but if we are in this space, if not, we can easily lose. Mm. The second game against Australia was a good uh, reaction from the team. Uh, the team played really well. I believe that uh, Argentina could win more comfortably in the mm. results uh, because uh, Argentina have a lot of possession territory, but certain moments were when they switch off and those moments were transforming points to the other team. So that shows you that the team has the capability of competing, but as well, uh, it's, down, it's down to them to, to really compete the 80 minutes against these teams. Against South Africa, I believe in the first game at South Africa, I was really impressed. It's a hostile place to go uh, to Johannesburg. Uh, South Africa are very proud, a proud team, a proud team when they play at home. And Argentina started, and the first half wasn't great, but in the second half they could win the match. At the end, yeah. they lost by one point, uh, which was disappointing. And the last game, I believe that it wasn't a great game. Of course, I believe that South Africa were way better. Uh, certainly. The players had in their minds as well the list that was given two days after. Uh, but well, overall, it wasn't a great rugby championship, but it wasn't the worst. I think that it proved to the team that they are capable of competing against the, the best teams. But to be there, they need to be in every aspect of the game, the mental side, uh, 110%. And if they are over there, they can make it. What was at least, interesting? At least yeah. they know. Sorry. Yeah. What was interesting, Marcelo, about uh, the game in Sydney was um, not just Argentina's uh, confidence in that game, from you, you know, and this ability that they that they've now found to go away and win in the rugby championship, but also how many Argentines there were in the crowd. Now, you gotta you you gotta tell us in Marseille. Are you anticipating that Marseille will be uh, more of a home game for Argentina than it will be for England? Because I am. <laughs> I would say it not only because of Argentina, but as well, you know, you have a big rivalry with France. Mm. Uh, so the French public perhaps would be more with Argentina because of that. We don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's true that in Australia were a lot of Argentinians over there. The thing is here in Argentina lately, towards the politics and economy, we are not in a good spot in the, at, the, at the moment in time. So surely there's people living in other places abroad. So that's why you saw a lot of people in Australia. Yeah, but also there are <laughs> a lot of Argentines in Spain, a lot of Argentines in Italy, and quite a lot of Argentines in France as well. So they haven't got too far to go to Marseille. That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. Marcelo, let's put a pin in that discussion for the moment. I just want to do your quick fire question section. You know, the 15 um, random rugby 15 questions I send you, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Of course, yes. <clears throat> let's get going. Nickname. Chelo. Best rugby memory. It's hard to say one. Can I say two or three? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say uh, a game against South Africa in 2015 when we beat South Africa at Durban. 
that was an amazing memory because uh, we had with us uh, a tour of all rugby players that went into a tour to South Africa 50 years before and they went uh, to watch that game and they were with us the whole week and they were very emotional, of course, as you can imagine. And for myself, it's been an amazing memory as well because we beat South Africa at South Africa for the first time in history and it was my first game as a father. I got my twins two weeks before and I left my wife and the boys uh, that were still in neonatology uh, here in Buenos Aires. So I left with all of that in my in my shoulders. So, well, because of all of that, it's been a great memory for me. That's amazing. Most embarrassing rugby memory? Loads. <laughs> um, um, I would say 2013 we played uh, at Johannesburg at Soweto against South Africa uh, I came back home with 73 points in my back <laughs> <laughs> that was embarrassing <laughs> pre-game tune I don't have one I like to to hear Gypsy Kings, do you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bambole. Yes, I don't know. Yes, always Bamboleo, Polare. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Uh, it's music that makes me feel uh, grateful uh, and makes me relax. And I always wanted that before a game in the sense of trying to calm down. Post-game meal. Um, whatever, whatever with a beer. <laughs> Best player you played against? Oof. As a center, as a number 10 or whatever. Any, any, who sticks Oof. in your mind? Um, I liked a lot to play against uh, Conrad Smith. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant player. You like you liked to play against him, in that you a lot, yeah. No, I I liked a lot to play against him, and I loved how he played the game. Yeah, very intelligent uh, player, and uh, perhaps he didn't have the talent of I don't know Carter or others, but very regular in his decision making, his defense, his placement, ball in hand. For me, he was a a great player to watch. I think he was one of the great outside centres of the modern era, and not enough not enough people acknowledge that. I don't think. Yeah, you agree with me? Oh, completely, completely. One outstanding player. Yeah. Best player you've played with? May I say one from Saracens, one from Biarritz, and one from Argentina? Okay, <laughs> yeah, go on. Uh, I would say uh, from Argentina, I would say Juan Martin Hernandez, when he was at his peak, uh, he was unbelievable. Um, from Biarritz, I would say Dimitri Yashvili. And Saris, there's loads. It's tough to pick one, but I will pick uh, Skalbritz. Nice. That's three outstanding choices, I'd say. Very good choices. Fav favorite player right now. 
Moonga. Richie Moonga. Yes. Rugby Idol. Lisandro Arbizu. Favorite stadium. Um, Wembley. Favorite gym exercise. I would say none, but I, I, I wasn't very fan of going into the gym. I like to play a lot. I like the body hand, but you know what? Uh, I would say squats. Nice. Good choice. Occup yes. Occupation if rugby didn't exist. If I had the talent, I would say a football okay. professional player. No. Superstitions. Mm. You know, nowadays, perhaps I'm obsessive with, th with certain things, but superstitions... Mm. Uh, perhaps one superstition when I used to play rugby was coming into the field from the changing room or from the tunnel, always walking into the beach. And I remember perhaps players going through me because they wanted to go off running, and I always uh, enter the you know the the rugby pitch walking. Rugby law, you would change. Hmm. That's a tricky one. Um, one one rule that I really liked is to the one of. You know the the breakdown when it's already set that before you had a lot of time to create your exact perfect platform for your kicking game. Well, the rule was that you could only have now certain seconds, mm -hmm. but I believe that that rule per moment is not um, how can I say it? It's like the ref per moment you can hear them saying play on play on, but but uh, they still take time. So I don't know if it's not to change the rule. I would, I, I would try to, to make it more in the sense of, um, I don't know how to express it in English. Like right. if you have to, yes, yeah. not, not is there. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. So there's a rule, there's a rule, but it seems that per moments is not a whistle that rule. Actually enforce the rule. Uh, yeah, enforce the rule. But if you enforce the rule and you don't play, what would be the consequence to have a scrum? So that uh, you go in from a static to another static. I want to to see more the ball in, in play. Yeah, understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes yeah, total yeah. sense. Total sense. Uh, and lastly, best thing about working in rugby. That is in the past when I used to be a, a player or nowadays? Whatever comes to you. Um, I would say being grateful of, of doing what I used to love, that was playing rugby, uh, like a blessing, I would say, to be able to work in your passion. I would say that. Amazing.
That's a fantastic rugby, uh, random rugby 15. Thank you for doing that, Marcelo. That was great. Um, let's, we'll do 20 more minutes, if that sounds good with you. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah? Yes. Fantastic. Okay, well, look, I can't have you on here as an ex-Saracens man without asking about the two Saracens teammates of yours that have been in the news. Um, how have you felt seeing what's happened with, well, the Owen Farrell and Billy Bunapola tackles in consecutive weeks. What have you been thinking, watching from a distance? Firstly, I will give a subjective uh, opinion in the sense not of what it happened, uh, more in the sense of what I feel for them, because I know them both. I'm still in contact with them. And I am sure how sad they are uh, that they will be missing some of the of the workup because of what happened. Uh, I spoke with them when I went to Europe last year, and I know that they were really looking for it, looking forward to it. So I'm sad that they are not being able to play against Argentina. Even that is Argentina, I just I, I just want to see the best players in the in the field. So in that sense, uh, I feel for them because well. Uh, I've been uh, with them long years, but in the objective, uh, I don't know, ban punishment, say it as, uh, as it fits. Uh, I, I think that the rule is very clear nowadays. Uh, the rule towards everything in rugby nowadays is more thin. So um, when you see the action, both of them, I think there's no question about it that uh, it's not a, a red card. Nowadays, any contact into the head uh, is a red card. And as well, it, it's a foul play from the beginning because their gesture towards the, the tackle is not correct in the sense that they are not going and looking forward to wrapping the tackle. They are both going with the shoulder. But well, it's, it's something that for them surely is difficult to change the whole a way of tackling because they were used to to, take, to tackle like this for long years. But well, you can say that they are professional rugby players, of course, and they can adjust and train it properly. But well, that's not in, in my hands, of course. But in the sense of the of the process, most of all of Owen, I feel that for moments uh, it seemed to be like uh, I don't know. Because Billy, he was banned straight away and the decision was maintained. But the one of Owen, he got a red card and suddenly there was a mitigation factor from the Six Nations saying that he wasn't uh, uh, banned in the sense that the red card was no longer there. Uh, and therefore, the World Rugby appealed and now they say that, no, in fact, there's no mitigation, so the red card stands. So when you look from the outside, it's like a, a bit of a mess. Uh, and, and worse, the lack of consistency in the process. We are judging the same situation in different ways that we could. Uh, that's, of, of course, it could happen. But uh, when you have the World Rugby Six Nations to judge it that differently, it's like it creates a lot of doubt in the whole rugby world. So that's why I think that it created a bigger... Uh, chaos uh, around these last weeks uh, and it's it's a pity because at the end I think uh, it was worse for for the England team it was worse even for Owen um, 
because all that created in the behind the scenes was for moments awful. I understand supporters and the critics towards the rugby player, but for moments it seems to be something personal, and that's where I don't like it. Uh, but well, uh, I think that there's for moments lack, lack of consistency because another band was brought is the one of Moala. He didn't have previous uh, bands. And suddenly, because of that tackle, he has a 10-week ban and he won't be able to play the World Cup. Yeah. So there is lack of consistency and that is creating nowadays people that are following rugby or people like you guys that you work towards the game that suddenly you don't know uh, how refs are going to judge any given situation uh, despite the teams that are playing. It's like we are in a very gray area per moments, and we don't know how, uh, how, how I don't know, how tackles or how many situations are going to be handled. And there's when you create a lot of inconsistency and you create chaos towards uh, players that perhaps they, they receive a 10 weeks ban like Moala, and you say, me 10 weeks and the other one is only three or four with previous uh, bands. So all of that creates a lot of chaos for myself, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think Do you think it's a good thing, Marcelo? I mean, I don't, I don't know what happens with um, when you were playing or with the Pumas now when there's um, um, a disciplinary tribunal. Um, would, would you go in with a very, very high-powered lawyer to make your to make your case for you, if you were a puma, a, you know, at a tribunal for a red card, because the guy who represents England is is a is a case what we call here a KC. I mean, he's the top of the tree. He is a formidably powered lawyer. Is is that is that good? Because that wouldn't happen with the average Tongan guy or or the, the Fijians or or maybe not the pumas. I don't know what your system is. Totally. Well, uh, that shows you that, well, if you're able to hire a good lawyer, you will get a more a better case. And it happens in politics and it happens <laughs> everywhere, of course. But you don't want to bring the, the, that politic into the game. You want mm -hmm. to be fair towards the action of the game. Yeah. Not towards how you handle uh, this or that. But well, is is rugby nowadays and the rules are very thin and uh, we are stopping the images millisecond after millisecond and things go really fast in the game. Uh, so, well, uh, I'm not perhaps the, the right guy to, to answer you that question, but when I see it from outside, my opinion is, yeah, well, it seems that for Tonga, if they don't hire this lawyer, Mola will give, be given a 10 weeks ban, but yeah. another team that could hire the, this lawyer will be able to handle things better because of his experience. So suddenly the, the player will have a, a lower band. So I don't know. Uh, there you have politics coming into, in, into place. And uh, is there when something unfair per moments happen? That, for example, for Moala, for me, something unfair. You have other bands that were given in the last uh, two, three months. And when you see his, it's like, really? But well... It is what it is. Yeah. Well, it is It is what it is, Marcelo. I agree with you entirely. This is like um, a game stuck in a time war. It is uh, an amateur disciplinary 
um, uh, system being projected into a professional sport. And I can't think of a professional sport that is actually worse run on the disciplinary side of things. So many inconsistencies. The one with George Moala that you point out is uh, is an absolute classic, but it's it's you know it's part of a massive number of them. You know where there's no consistency, and where if you happen to be in the wrong tier of the game, tier two or whatever else, you're going to get dealt to much more severely than if you're in tier one. And, and especially if you're in tier one with, as Chris has said, an eminent lawyer, you know, stepping into a rugby disciplinary process. Actually, he's got no place being there, really, because you could argue that he's offering a case for his client. So a case for the defense. But, for example, the player that he, he you know, Owen hit with his shoulder. He's does, he doesn't have a, a prosecuting or a lawyer representing him, and nor do the match officials whose decision is being questioned. So if you want to turn it into a real law court, you're going to get into all sorts of problems. So for me, the, uh, the position is probably not for anybody to have QCs representing them and let the rugby process and the, the business of uh, of the decisions being made on rugby, not on the cleverness of a uh, of a lawyer. And the great shame yeah. here is that we've got the bunker system, which was introduced at the Junior World Cup and, and over these summer internationals. I really like that. And I think it's good and promising. And it worked very, very well on the Owen Farrell, on the Owen Farrell case and the Billy Bunapola. And the, the way it has undermined it has been really disappointing. And the the um, the statement that came out with the original letting off of Owen Farrell was incredibly sarcastic towards the bunker system. So these three Aussies, I mean, I'd, I'd heard of Langford, I hadn't really heard of the others, took it upon themselves to not only free rogue, you know, rogue decision and say there was no incident and no ban, but they had a pop at the professionals, the cutting edge professionals, who got it absolutely right on the day. And they had a pop with them and oh, they couldn't be expected to make the right decision. They didn't have the time. They didn't have the slow motion. They bloody well made the right decision. It's the guys who sat there for six hours with bloody coffee and biscuits who got it totally wrong. So that yeah. really, really struck in my crawl. It is also the case, I think. I, I mean, I, I only read this. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't there. I'm not a lawyer and I didn't hit anyone with my shoulder. So I wasn't there. But the the World Rugby Appeal, so the second Owen Farrell hearing took 10 hours. 10 hours. <laughs> there are murder trials are completed faster than the Owen and the Owen Farrell appeal. I mean, yeah, you I can imagine 10 hours. I can imagine that you go there and you see the action frame by frame and they want to to hear from you how do what do you think that happened there or what was your feeling in your mind and you go frame by frame and it's just one millisecond and uh, I don't know but but those frames could give a lawyer an advantage to something and to create this or that. Well, well, yes, 10 hours is a lot, I believe, for an action of two it's seconds. It's madness. It's madness. Yeah. I think yeah. half of it was negotiating down the band from six to four matches, is my understanding, and that took a lot of the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I believe it's something like that. 
And lawyers are also paid by the minute. Yes, they wouldn't be rushing themselves, would they? <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that. Allegedly. Is... Allegedly. <laughs> you know you know the one of Malia, Malia against South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he 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 wasn't given even a yellow card, but after the game he he was banned for two weeks. And I'm not saying that when you see the action and how he goes and counters and how he knocks uh, uh, the number nine of South Africa, uh, th- there's a rule. We want the welfare of the players, and I completely agree, of course. Uh, but what is that inconsistency? In the field, he could carry on playing. The other one, no. But after the game, he should have been sent off with red card. So suddenly you're all over the place. You don't know what is right or, or wrong, even mm. if you know. But there's a lot of grey areas now mm. towards the rule because the, the game as well is getting more complex at the minute in the sense of how you ref. Even the... Imagine in, in the rucks, every ruck, what's going on. It's not easy. It's, it must be really complicated. So... And you have one team, the other one, the public, the supporters, everyone having an opinion. It's not easy, I, I, I understand. But well, lately, it's what I've been think, feeling is that there is some lacking of consistency depending on the player itself, despite the action. And that's the thing that when you're an outsider, you don't like much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, in the sense of Owen and Billy, I come back to that. I'm sad that they are not part of, of the team towards uh, the game against Argentina. I think your summing up was incredibly fair, Marcello, considering you, you know them well and are friends and you yeah. feel for them emotionally. But I think you were very, very fair there in what you said. Definitely. I I try to be objective towards the action of what I see in the action, taking the the feeling and the yeah, the feeling uh, aside, which is difficult for me eh? because I'm, I'm emotional. I love them both. But if you take apart that and you see the the action and you see the rule nowadays, unfortunately, they is shoulder to the head and nowadays shoulder to the head with the arm low is is almost inevitably that you will get a ban. So tell me, Marcelo, the thing that uh, that you know just going on from the ban and throwing forward to the game between England and Argentina in Marseille, how big an impact do you think? Uh, the way that England are playing, you know, I mean, England are going into this this, this game with a really a terrible warm up period. Um, they they appear to lack confidence. Even good players are nowhere near doing nowhere near what they do for their club. So you see a lot of the Saracens players, players that you've played with, who are not really performing to their to the level that they have done. Do you, do you see Argentina as uh, as favourites for this, or do you think that somewhere England are going to find something, or that it's it's almost like if you don't if you haven't produced something by now, you've got really a huge mountain to climb. It's a good question. Um, I was surprised by the level of England this. Uh, lastest matches I believe that during the Six Nations uh, per moments England performed better than I don't know last week against Ireland I was surprised uh, about uh, the performance of the team uh, as you just mentioned it seems that it's disjoint the team per moments 
Uh, even when I look at the team, I don't know what is the starting 15 yet. <laughs> and imagine that we are almost two weeks from the first game. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But well, uh, the team, I believe that is in a period of reconstruction. Uh, there's not a lot of time, of course. Uh, and you have players as well that uh, aren't picking uh, towards the World Cup. They are not playing uh, very well, but not in, not only individually, but as a collective. Yeah. Uh, because I thought, well, England, at least they will go back to the basics, which when they are good at the basics, they can beat anyone. Set-piece, uh, kicking game, and good defence. And I thought, seeing Steve Borswick, what he what he's done uh, at Leicester Tigers, well, I know him because he was my first captain at Saris, and he's been having amazing results in Japan, in England, between 2015-19. I thought, well, at least he will, uh, I will see a team covering the basics well, uh, playing in the right areas of the field, playing good kicking game. And with that, they, w- they will be competing. But I don't see that solid as well. So where is England going to grab uh, in the sense of the game itself? Attacking, uh, attacking uh, a game, I don't think so much. Defensively, I didn't see them as accurate as I used to see them in the sense of uh, suffocating the the other team, putting pressure, applying pressure. Uh, per moments, I see that they want to play with 13 in the front line, with two in the back line. So that will allow the wingers to go off the line and, and go and put pressure. But the spacing of the other day uh, between players was very narrow. And uh, Ireland had a lot of chances. And Ireland didn't play this brand of rugby that we all know. I think that they play well, but it wasn't with the intensity that we know that they could play. So, yes, I was surprised about the level of the performance of England. But surely, I imagine all of this case of Owen Farrell, because he's the captain, the number 10, and we don't know if he was going to play the World Cup or not. Surely, in, in, inside the doors, in the hotel, and even in the heads of the coaches, is playing a role. So I imagine that now, knowing that he won't be part of the first two games, that will be more. I don't know that will give clarity to the coaches to say, well, we have to go with this kind of game yeah. with this number ten, and we look forward to it. Uh, but well, nowadays, yes, it's as you mentioned, I don't see a great team in the sense of confidence, but. When I see the individuals, wait a minute, you have great players in every position. Uh, when I see what you can do in World Cups, like for example, I saw a tweet of uh, Austin Healy saying in 2007, first game against South Africa, you lost by 40 points. You almost beat them in the final. So sometimes you need one game, one moment, uh, whatever to make something click and suddenly you have a, a team with confidence in the in the field. So in, in saying this, I would say Argentina, I think, have a good opportunity uh, towards what they are showing and towards what England is showing. But you don't have to underestimate never the English team and most of all in the World Cup. So we'll see. Can I get then 
a little we'll wrap up in a couple of minutes can i get a two predictions from you marcelo um for the world cup one argentina versus england who will come out on top and two where in the world cup are argentina going to get to Well, here I will be a bit more subjective, of course, because I'm from Argentina. But if I speak objectively, uh, for example, you would say to me in 2019, England, Argentina, and I would say to you, England, because I knew uh, how uh, England reached that uh, World Cup. Uh, lots of players playing at service in the peak of their careers as well. Uh, well, the Argentinian uh, World Cup was tough, the last one, and they didn't arrive in the best shape. Nowadays, what I'm seeing of Argentina gives me hope that they can really beat England. They beat England last November, not long ago, at Twickenham. We, and that gives a lot of confidence that they can do the job. Mm. So I see Argentina, or I expect Argentina to go through. Uh, and in the sense of the whole World Cup, I see Argentina reaching the semifinals. I think that towards what you have in the World Cup, towards our side of the of, of, of the how you say the, the draw, the, the draw, the draw. Yeah. Uh, I believe that we we are we are lucky. Even England or Argentina, of course. Afterwards, if you go through, if you beat Japan, Samoa, every game counts. But if you go through the pool you would potentially face Wales, Australia. And I believe that all of those teams are in moments of reconstruction and not in moments of confidence. And when you see the other side of the draw, you have four teams that it seems that they're in another level at this moment in time. So towards the draw and what I'm seeing from Argentina, I think that they are capable of reaching the semifinals. In a semifinal afterwards, I don't know. I think that would be a bonus. If Argentina reaches that uh, um, that moment and that game, you never know. Because you can have a team that is full of confidence. And on the other side, imagine those two quarterfinals. I don't know. Let's say South Africa against New Zealand and Ireland against France without underestimating Scotland. Watch out, Scotland. For me, Scotland, the first game against South Africa at Marseille would be massive. Huge. Uh, I don't know. I I feel that South Africa are the favourites, but I don't know why I have a feeling about Scotland. Watch out. In the sense of... But imagine that the quarterfinals are those ones. Those quarterfinals, they are like potential finals in any given World Cup. And the, the toll after that game, in the sense of how you prepare it, how it is played... And imagine you go through and you play the semi-final afterwards. You have to prepare again, physically, mentally, for a semi-final after that type of game. So there's when I think, wait a minute. Um, of course, uh, object objectively, I think that it would be really hard for England, Argentina or whoever. But after a game like that, in the other side of the draw, I would say, watch out if Argentina or whoever plays really well and there's a, I don't know, a, a lack of um, consistency, intensity in the game for, from the other uh, team, you never know. You can go through as well. Uh, I would remember... I, I remember I, sorry, sorry, I remember... 2015, Marcello. 
Yeah, or 2019, uh, sorry. Remember in 2015, you beat Ireland in the quarterfinal brilliantly. Um, But Ireland, six days earlier, had had a war with France. They'd lost four players injured. The others were wounded. Now, I don't think even with a a fully fresh, fully team, they would have touched you in your quarterfinal because you were on fire. But it definitely contributed to a subpar Ireland performance in that quarterfinal. Remember England against New Zealand in 2019. What an what what a game that was. That was unbelievable in the sense of the performance, everything, the game plan was outstanding. What a what a game! And you thought, wow, after this, they will be in the final. And South Africa wasn't as its best, I believe. But the toll that took that game from the players, mentally, emotionally. Uh, uh, physically a bit as well, uh, you could see it in the final. And South Africa played the best game of the World Cup in the final, perhaps. So yeah. suddenly that happened. And uh, that's why I'm thinking, wow, the, the, the teams that will be facing each other in the other draw, that they will be going through, wow, they, they, they still have to carry on and win the semi final, despite an Argentina, England, Australia, whoever. Yeah, so yeah, we'll yeah. see. Good point. Yeah, and a very, very plausible set of predictions. Um, Guys, we've run out of time, so I did want to talk about Anthony Watson a little bit, but I think we'll park that one for next week because we still don't know who's been called up to the squad instead of him. Obviously, Johnny May is going to start against Fiji, but no official announcement there. Um, Marcelo, it's been great having you. Really, really great having you. Um, And yeah, we can only, well, dread slash look forward to at the same time, England versus Argentina. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but yeah, in, enjoy France. And I look forward to seeing you on ESPN somewhere uh, in in the next few weeks. Thank you very much. Apologies about my rusty English. It's been a long time. I don't <laughs> speak good. the language. And yeah, you kind of lose well. it. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes yeah, the words, yeah. they don't come as easily as before. So apologies if for moments I was a bit disjoint. Uh-huh. You've been, oh, you've, been, you've been brilliant, Marcelo. Can, can yeah. I just say one thing to you before you go? I was hoping when somebody, when the question, your best rugby memory came up, I was hoping you were going to say commentating alongside my old friend Frankie Dagas. In, um... no. no, no, no. I didn't enjoy that. You know what? <laughs> I, I commentate another game in the morning of Love Puma, of uh, South Africa, New Zealand. And I had to mix. My hamster was on fire, and uh, and Frankie, Frankie, he doesn't work for ESPN. They called him because yeah. he 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 can how can I say he can speak English. Yeah, sure. But he didn't have like the gymnastics that others have. So uh, no, 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 it was brutal for me. Brutal. Oh, Fra- Fra- Frankie's one. Frankie's one of our great one of our great friends, but um, uh, I know, no, I, I I like him a lot. But the experience both of us was was challenging. That was because, <laughs> yeah, Australia. I think they they didn't want to pay something, and they and they told, "Do you have someone that speaks in English? Please do it." Yeah. yeah. So well, well, I, I I speak English, and I'd have been rubbish as well. Yeah. <laughs> Frankie's Frankie's Frankie will listen to this and think with friends like Hewitt. Who needs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but well, with, with Frankie, we did one, the, I think the year before that, we just do it and we try to do it our, our best. 
but we don't work in a weekly basis in doing it in this language. So it was challenging in that sense. Difficult, yeah. And Marcello, I'm... can you give your, buzz, your mate Gus Pichot a, a phone call after this and take him out for a meal and tell him to stand again for World Rugby chairman because we badly need need him back on the scene. If ever rugby needs Gus, it's now. You, you think so, guys? Yeah. <laughs> well... He was very close last time, he so was. hopefully he, he goes. Yes, I feel that for the world, for teams of Tier 2, Tier 3, Definitely. if he goes through, it's going to be really good in that sense. Definitely. Definitely. We, the game just needs something from outside of the same old, same old usual suspects. And, you know, something refreshing. And Gus is a really <laughs> bright guy. He's a really with a lot of ideas and a fantastic standing in the game. I mean, he's one of those. That's true. So, hey. Um, but no, I was only being mischievous to make Frankie, but it was terrible that Frankie. <laughs> no, no, but good man. Frankie, good man. Oh, no, he's great. Guy. Long years. He's a, he's a great guy. Send him my best. <laughs> I, will, I, I will, Chris. Perhaps he will be there in the World Cup. Are you guys going? Uh, me, oh, me not. Uh, but Frankie, Frankie will be there because Frankie never misses. Surely. Frank, yeah, Frank. that's true. He, he is he is the Boffelli of rugby journalism. He never misses. Oh, that's true. Oh. <laughs> he never misses. Opa. That's a good way of saying it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Marcelo. Thanks so much, Marcelo. That was great. Cheers, Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.